0: The reading this evening is taken from Ephesians chapter 4, uh, and I'll actually be reading from verses 1 to 16. You can find this on page 1175 of the Pew Bibles. So Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 16. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? And in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become, in every respect, the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work.
1: Wonderful. Thanks, Trevor. Uh, well, do keep your Bibles open, page 1175. And... Uh... As, as Don and Judith said, we're thinking about belonging this evening. Uh, one of our main goals for this year. Uh, so let's begin uh, by prayer and ask God to to help us as we do that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Word, the Bible. We thank you that you are a God who speaks, and Lord, as we work out some of the implications of what it means to be a people who belong to you, and as a result of that, belong to one another. Lord, we pray that you would be doing your work in our hearts and our lives by your Spirit. Lord, please, would you build us up, encourage us, uh, so that we might be the kind of church you want us to be. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, there are lots of examples in the Bible where you see teamwork, people working together. And one of the good examples we can look at is in the Old Testament in the book of Nehemiah. Now, Nehemiah, what's going on is God's people have been sent off into exile in Babylon, and uh, and they have come back to Jerusalem, their capital city where they worship God. And Nehemiah has this, this, this real passion and, and, and vision for rebuilding the walls around Jerusalem. Because they've been under attack. They've got all these other people who don't like the fact that God's people are coming back. So, so Nehemiah and all these other people build up the walls. And it's this incredible people, uh, example of people working together for God's kingdom. Some of them rebuilding the walls while there are other ones guarding them throughout the day and night until the job is done. But we're slightly different to, to Nehemiah's time As God's people you see we no longer build up walls to keep people out to keep the other nations out of out of church We build each other up So that people can come in there's a there's a big difference there But one thing that remains the same is this idea of God's people working together because that is who they are We are one body if you are a follower of the Lord Jesus a disciple of Christ then we have this in common. We are one body. Christ is the head and we are all one body. And what Paul shows us here in Ephesians chapter four, and why we're looking at it this evening, is that actually Christ enables us to live out that identity. He doesn't just tell us to do it and just get on with it, but he makes it possible to live out that identity as his body here on earth. So if we go away with one thing this evening and nothing more. I want you to go away with a renewed commitment to working together to build up the church because that is who we are. And we can use this evening as an opportunity to renew that commitment or perhaps for the for the first time to make that commitment that we are people who look to build each other up as the body of Christ. And Paul shows us uh, how we can How we can we can see that, how we can understand it and how we can do it in in three different parts in this chapter in chapter four, page 1175. Firstly, he tells us to to live out who you are, to live out who you are, to remember what God has given you. And thirdly, to focus on growing together. So we're going to take that first one. Live out who you are. Look down with me. Uh, the passage of verse one what Paul says. He says, as a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Paul says that all of those who follow Jesus have a calling. They are called to follow Christ wherever they are, in good times and in bad in the workplace, in the school, at university, whether going overseas, or even, like Paul, in prison. Our circumstances don't control whether we follow Christ or not. We follow Christ in all of those things, even like Paul, in prison. You see, imprisonment didn't stop Paul from, from living this kind of worthy life that he says Christians should live. We don't have to be super influential or rich to live that kind of worthy life. Paul was able to do that from prison. It's the testimony of many other Christians who can do the same. Perhaps you've seen a, a picture of this man in the news in the last 24 hours. This is Jonathan Aitken. He was a politician. Uh, he got sent to prison for, for perjury and uh, he spent, uh, several years in prison, and in the course of being in prison, he became a Christian. He was converted, and he's in the news because yesterday he was ordained a prison chaplain. Even imprisonment couldn't stop God causing this person to turn their life around in God's strength and to live a worthy life. You see, all of us have been called to live that kind of worthy life wherever we are, in prison, in school, in the home, wherever. But what does it look like? Come and tell us, Paul. What does this kind of worthy life look like? We'll have a look at verse 2. Paul says, Be completely humble and gentle. Okay? Be patient and bearing with one another in love. Paul says that the kind of life that looks worthy of the calling that we've received as Christians is marked out by these kind of character qualities. Humility gentleness, patience, sticking with one another even when it's really hard, even when we'd rather run a mile. But it's because of this important fact. You see, we as Christians are united with Christ. We are, we are connected to Christ. And because of that, if we're taking what Paul was saying seriously, we're going to start to look more like him. Our character, the the way we behave, the way we treat others in the church is going to be transformed. It is going to change, to look more and more like Christ's humility, Christ's gentleness and patience and bearing with one another. Think about how much Christ bears with us, how patient Jesus is with us in all our mess. This is what it looks like. We grow up into these kind of character qualities Because it's who we are. He makes that point in verse three, doesn't he? Look, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Paul tells us this is who we are. We have this bond of peace. We have peace with God. We have forgiveness with God through Christ. We have that bond and we share in that together. It's not just about me and my relationship with God. It is us as a church family here at BH. Around the world, all people who trust in Christ, we have that bond of peace together. Paul calls it unity of the Spirit. Because we are united to Christ, we share that same unity in our spirit with the Holy Spirit. We all share in that. But I wonder if you look back over verse 2 and you think, actually, there are a couple of those things, or maybe all of them, I really fall short there. I'm not a humble person. I'm not gentle or patient. I find it really hard to bear with one another. Well, that's okay. It's good that, that God is making you aware of those things. We're all works in progress. God wants us to see how we can grow so that we would, not just so we feel bad about it, but so that we would grow up. Because we're united, we would start, be, start showing these kind of behaviors to one another, humility, gentleness, and Paul makes the, the case, in case we, we, we think that there might be another way to live out this kind of Christian life, live out a different way of who we are. Well, there is no other way, is there? He says this so emphatically in uh, verses four to six. He says, there's one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is over all and through all and in all. There is only one way there is no other we are to be committed to this kind of way of, of living as a church living out who we are as disciples as followers as jesus we are to be that kind of committed to each other's growth as well just as much as christ is committed to us there is no other way if we want this this life worthy of this unity that we share in the spirit. We have two options, don't we, if we if we want that. Well, one we can pretend it doesn't exist, and we can just make it about my relationship with God and how I'm doing and not worry about what Paul is saying in verse two. Or we can actually live it out. We can pray about it. We can we can ask God to help us to grow in these things as, as a church as we think about what it means to belong we want to live out who we are, don't we? We don't want to be living a lie as Christians. We want to be living out the truth of who we are in Christ. One body, united in the spirit. But Paul makes the point that if you're going to do this, this, this really high vision that he has of what a church can and should look like, then we're not going to be able to do it on our own. We need to remember what God has given us us. We need to push deep into what God has given each one of us. We need to remember what God's given you. And the first thing we see is that he has given us grace. Have a look at verse 7. Paul says, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Paul is saying that there is grace for us, in each and every situation that we face as a church family, when, when, we, when we come across someone who we maybe find it really hard to spend, spend time with or someone who we're struggling to forgive, Paul says, actually, God gives us grace in all of those situations. He doesn't require us to do it alone. He will give us the supernatural strength to do what is needed. Because if we're going to live out who we are in Christ, we're going to need a lot of help, aren't we? I know I will. We'll all need God's grace. And what's important to hold on to is these two things. Is is we get it when we need it and we get what we need. Firstly, he says, we get what we need. To each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. We are given the kind of, of grace, the strength, the power we need to live out who we are in those moments. Whatever it is we are facing, we will not go through it alone. God promises to give us that strength to be living out our Christian identity. It may be scary sometimes. We may find it hard, but, but we do not do it on our own. God gives us his grace, what we need but also he gives it to us when we need it as well. There's a wonderful um, story that, that Corrie Ten Boom tells of uh, when um, she, was, she was growing up, um, just before the, the Second World War in, in Holland, and uh, she, she was really troubled by this idea of, of whether or not she would have strength to be a martyr, whether she would have the strength to, to be able to, to even go as far as, as dying for her Lord. And uh, she, she questioned her father about this. She said, how do I know that when that happens that, 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 that it, I'll be okay? And her father says to her, when you get the train to Amsterdam, she was living in Holland, when you get the train to Amsterdam, when do I give you the money that you need? Do I give it to you a long time in advance or do I give it to you just before you go? And she goes, well, Papa, you give it to me just before I go, don't you? He says, yes. And that's what God's grace is like. When you need it, he will provide it. He doesn't give it to us all, all this supernatural strength when, when things are seemingly going fine. But it's, it's in those moments when things are seeming hardest that he gives us the strength, the grace to carry on, to, to live out who we are. And it's the testimony of many Christians that that is true. That even though on, on paper we face impossible odds, things that to drive us down into the dirt, that actually God gives us the grace when we need it. He gives us grace for each situation, but he's given us so much more, hasn't he? That, that is incredible, that, that he gives us strength for each situation. But look, else, look at what else he's given us. If we have a look down at verse 8. Paul says, this is why it says... When he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean? Except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions. He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. Now, it's, it's uh, almost get a bit of motion sickness as, as Paul's describing this, this going down and coming up and going down. But what he's describing is is, is Christ coming down to earth and ascending again. But, but Paul's picking up on, a, on an Old Testament passage on Psalm 68, which is an incredible Psalm, talking about God's care and God's provision for his people and how in those tough times he will actually give them everything he needs. And we can think about what, what Paul, what that meant to Paul as he was sat there in prison. It says this in Psalm 68, "But God is a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows He sets the lonely in families. He leads out the prisoners with singing, with joy. What Paul is picking up on is this truth that that we see in, in Psalm 68, and it's seen most clearly in the Lord Jesus, of God giving his people what they need to live out who they are in Christ. And how committed was he to that, that that we would be able to live out who we are? Well, he gave his own son. The Lord Jesus descended to earth. He came and lived among us. The almighty God of heaven made his bed in a stable. But he didn't stop there. He died to buy us, to bring us back to God. But Paul says as well that he has ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe it didn't end with with jesus descending to earth and and dying for us but he went back to heaven he rose back to life he ascended back to heaven and he is now praying for us he is interceding for each and every one of us so that we might be these people who would live out who we are he is that committed to us And he gives us what we need to live out who we are today. So he gives us grace for each situation. God gave us his own son and he has shown that he is trustworthy, that he will give us what we need and we can remember what he has given us. But also Paul picks up on the fact that that God's also got a plan to to give us workers in the church, people in the church that, that encourage and equip us. Have a look at verse 11 to 13. So Christ himself gave the apostles. So think about the 12 apostles and, and the apostle Paul as well, who's writing this. The prophets, the evangelists, the people who, who tell the good news, the pastors and teachers, or it could be pastor teachers. Why has God given us all those people? Well, they are there to equip his people for works of service. That is why those people are in the church. That is why you have ministers. That is why we have Sunday school teachers or small group leaders to equip the people for works of service. That's why we're there. That's why people in leadership are there, to equip others so that all of us may be equipped for works of service. We do that so that the body of Christ, all of us, may be built up, may be strengthened, may be equipped to live out who we are. It's like having a, a personal trainer. You sometimes see them down on the beach. They do this strange thing now with ropes. they like, let's swing that along and it's going to make them strong or something like that. Beyond me. And um, But it's like having a personal trainer encouraging you. Keep going. Don't give up. When, you, when you're when you feeling tired and you're just like, I'm not sure I can go on with this. You have got someone there around you praying for you. Maybe someone else in your church, maybe a close Christian friend saying, don't give up because he has not given up on you. Christ has not given up on you. So keep on going. That is why these people exist in the church. And it's great. I was at a friend's ordination yesterday. Think about more people going out and, and, and serving churches in this way and thinking Uh, about people going off, Daniel going off to to college in September to to learn to be a worker in the church. This is why God has has given these things to our church, so that we may be equipped, so that we may be built up. But there's a need, isn't there, for us to keep on needing equipping, if that makes sense. He says this in uh, verse 13. He says, we keep on going until we all reach unity in the faith. Again, Paul picks up on this theme of unity. Um, we have a, a a week of prayer for Christian unity, and, and this year we had a, a prayer meeting in the chapel, and um, it was my first one being at one of these, and it was uh, dismally attended, really. And um, I think it's, I don't know, maybe there's good reasons why, why we shouldn't be supporting stuff like that, but I think the Apostle Paul would probably have <laughs> something to say about about that, I think we probably need to think again, don't we, about this idea of praying for unity as a church around the world. Certainly feel convicted by that myself. We keep on needing equipping this unity in the faith. We keep on going and we grow in knowledge, that's what he says, and in knowledge of the Son of God. It's great that, that even here in Sussex, even here in Sussex, but here in Sussex, we have opportunities to grow in knowledge through obviously stuff that goes on here at church and through small groups, great way of growing in knowledge of the Son of God and what Jesus has done for us. But through things as well like the SGP course, meets once a month on a Saturday or weekly on Tuesdays. There are all sorts of opportunities for us to grow in knowledge of what God has done, to know our Bibles better, to know how we can share our faith and equip and build each other up. He says, "We until we become mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ what an incredible vision Paul has of what the church can be and will one day be and he says that's what we need to keep working on until we get there don't rest on your laurels don't don't think that everything's just as fine I don't need to to worry about it but actually we need to work hard at it don't we until we all become mature that's Paul's command to this church in Ephesus but he also says, and so we'll kind of finish up, that there are some dangers along the way. Particularly if we think this is a solo project. A lot of people uh, like the idea perhaps of spirituality, but they don't like the idea of church. They're suspicious of it. But Paul says that actually religion can never be a solo project. Being a follower of Jesus can never be a solo project. We need to focus, finally, what he says, we need to focus on growing together. Not independently, not I'm doing fine and all that person sitting next to me at church tonight. I know they're not doing too well, but I'll just won't worry about them. We need to focus on growing together. Your problems are my problems. My problems are your problems. And he makes it clear in some of the, the dangers if we have this, this kind of this solo idea that, that we can just, just do stuff on our own and we don't need to think about growing in maturity as believers. That's what it says in verse 14. He says if we do all this stuff, if we grow in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, then we will no longer be infants. We will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves. He's slightly mixing his metaphors there. Slightly terrifying idea of an infant being on a boat tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Paul is talking about the danger of drifting away from what we might call the apostolic truth what we what we see in scripture taught about what jesus has done for us and what it means to have faith in him if we drift away we're in all sorts of danger you see if christians are not becoming mature they face the risk of drifting away um one one american uh famous uh, preacher john piper makes this um contrast between being a dolphin and being a jellyfish, uh, and talking about Christians need to be like dolphins. Uh, Jellyfish—they they they float with wherever the current's going, and if a storm comes along, it just washes them off. A few years ago, we were we were on holiday down in Dorset, and we came to this lovely little beach, and we were about to go onto the beach until we noticed there were about two hundred of these huge jellyfish, about about this big. And uh, they had just got washed in on a storm. And, and once they get to the beach, that's it. Well, there's nothing a jellyfish can do. It's just this blob with, with tentacles. There's nothing it can do. It just got blown in. It drifted and ended up in danger somewhere it couldn't save itself. But rather contrast that with, with a dolphin. A dolphin works together in a team and it knows where it's going, doesn't it? It sees the, the tuna or whatever dolphins eat, and, and they work together and they go for it, often swimming against the currents. That is what Christians are called to be, not jellyfish, but dolphins. This means that we, we need to think carefully about, about the kind of stuff that, that we, maybe we listen to or, or we read. Just because a book says Christian on the front doesn't necessarily mean it's okay. There's a big movement in the States at the moment called the, the Word of Faith movement, and a lot of that comes out of this, uh, this idea of the prosperity gospel, that if you, if you give your life to Christ and if you give so much money to the church, then God is going to bless you financially. That is the thing you live for, financial blessings. It is not the gospel. It is causing people to drift, and we need to take measures so we, we don't fall into those kind of traps. Stuff that you hear, stuff that you read, you look and say, is that what the Bible is saying? If you're not sure, you go and ask a Christian who you know is a mature believer and find out whether that is true or not. But Paul says something else, a way that we can we can counter this drift. Actually, it's by having a kind of a, I guess, that dolphin, this gospel purpose to the way that we live out. Instead of just trying to avoid these things, actually, we we. We positively go after good stuff. We go after the tuna. We go after the gospel. That's what he's saying. Look at verse 15. He says, instead of all these things and being tossed back and forth by the waves and being like jellyfish, we speak the truth in love. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head. That is Christ. If you're looking for a a key to unlock how we avoid drift and how we, we focus in on the gospel, it is that. It is we make sure we practice this speaking the truth in love. And we're trying to work out what that means. Um, and I think looking at the context of what Paul is comparing it with in that previous verse, actually speaking the truth in love is where well, it has to be the opposite of speaking craftiness in deceit. Do you see how it's it's different? Not craftiness, but truth, not deceit, but love or maybe those two are the other way around. But he's he's countering that idea with speaking the truth in love that is speaking the truth of what God has done for us. We think about this alpha course coming up in September. We think about opportunities we might have to tell others that we know out on the streets, in, in the office, or, or maybe just asking questions with our friends. Sometimes it can be scary. Sometimes, uh, seemingly work doesn't allow us to, to have much upfront conversations about our faith. Maybe in other ways. Maybe we have to be creative. Keep on going. But we, we look to speak the truth in love. We don't just want to hit the truth over people's heads. Just you know, smack them with the gospel, and and they'll get it. That's not what Paul is saying. And rather, we don't want to be so sort of lovey-dovey that we, don't, we think, well, if I'm just a nice person, then maybe they'll get it. Actually, Paul says it's got to be both of those things, doesn't it? We, we want to speak the truth in a way that is loving. We care about the people we are sharing our faith with, the people that we are praying for. We don't just want to win the argument with someone at school or wherever. We want to win the person for Christ, don't we? We want to counter this drift with this gospel purpose of speaking the truth in love, speaking the gospel with compassion to those who don't yet know Jesus or who those who are drifting, those jellyfish, to remind them of what God has done. We want to practice this, this love truth as a church. People who are drifting especially, we want to help them. And Paul finishes off, in case you're sitting here thinking, well, that's that's okay for certain people, these evangelists and stuff. Paul makes it really clear that this is for each one of us, isn't it? it would be easier maybe if first 16 wasn't there, but it is. He says, from him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. If we want to grow in maturity, we've all got to be involved, haven't we? This has got to be a community project. This has got to be us as a church family doing this together. Not just some, not just 99%, but all of us. This is what Paul is challenging this church in Ephesus to do. We want to grow into maturity. We've all got to be involved in building one another up, in growing in humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another as a church. Maybe there are, there are two, two problems we can fall into with, with that thinking. Maybe we can think, well, actually, uh, I don't think I need to do anything. There's plenty of other people around here. It's, it's a fairly big church. There's plenty of other people around here doing stuff. Well, that, that isn't every part doing its work, is it? But maybe the other danger is we're doing too much. That actually we, we, are, we are too quick to say yes to things, which means actually other people don't have an opportunity I wonder if that's you. Maybe there's a way that you can encourage someone else, maybe in a particular thing that you're doing, to get someone else alongside for a few months and and do something together and then let them go with it. That's what we're called to do, each part of us doing his, her work to build up the church in love. We all need to grow together. We need to remember what God's given us. And we need to live out who we are, don't we? That, that may not sound like a uh, very uh, controversial message, live out who you are, but actually for a Christian it is because we are called to live a life that looks like Christ. And that is in, incredibly countercultural, isn't it? Not living for ourselves, but living for God and for others and for the building up of the church. You see, we are the children of God. That is who we are by faith in Christ. And we want to grow up as children, don't we? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you for this passage. What it teaches us about how you enable us to, to live out your purpose for us as, as a body of believers, as we think about belonging. And Lord, we pray, maybe as, as we approach communion this evening and receive the bread and the wine, think about your commitment to us but use that as an opportunity to renew our commitment to working together to build up the church here so that all of us might contribute to this sense of belonging because that is who we are in Christ. Amen.